Dustin and Kate. I am Kate. That makes me Dustin. And today we have two, I'm sorry. Uh, today we have two, normally this, you know, gets fixed in post. So today we have two guests. We have Taylor McGuire, a current first year PhD student at Harvard University. And we have George, George, I just forgot your last name, but right now you're up as Mr. Meme Dream. So <laughs> George Meme Dream. George, oh wait, I just got it. Yes, that's it. <laughs> He's a first-year graduate student at Vanderbilt University. Thank you so much both for joining us. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the like the tail end of the application process, and we're also going to be spending a fair amount of time um, talking about the interview process and what to expect and um, you know, like our best tips for doing online Zoom interviews, which is presumably what people will be doing this year. So um, if you guys just want to like share just like a brief like kind of overview of what your interests were and then how you ended up where you ended up and um, additionally just to add a bunch of questions onto one uh, this time of the year and the year of our Lord 2019 October mid-October as an applicant like what were you doing and what were you thinking about um, so we'll start with you Taylor. Sure. Um, so my research interests at the time last year um, were focused on intrapersonal and interpersonal risk factors for suicide. Um, one of the things that was very interesting to me in my research lab was um, we were doing we were doing a study that assessed warning signs for suicide with adolescents. And one of the things that interested me was we were asking them questions about the 24 hours and 48 hours before an attempt. But for the feedback portion, the parents were telling us, well, it's great that you asked these questions, but we saw warning signs in the few weeks beforehand. Um, so I was interested in how those risk factors kind of started and then may have led to a suicide attempt. So that's what I focused on in my research. Um, when I applied, it was to a mix of developmental psychology people in clinical. So these were people who were studying like adolescents um, with like an eye to those types of trajectories and also depression. And then there were strictly suicide people um, because I'd never, I'd applied three, two times before. And this was the first time I was applying to people in suicide research. So in October, I think at that point I had already finalized my list. So I think I applied to um, 12 schools. 13 maybe schools um, and I had had the list I had confirmed that they were accepting students and I was probably in my first like super rough draft of the personal statement cool um, that's good to hear about I have also applied more than once um, so I had applied once before applying this past year um, so I had done research in undergrad um, but it was really focused on like auditory perception and memory and so when I applied to clinical programs, I really didn't have any kind of foot in the door uh, or relevant work to kind of point to. And so I think that was a major part of why that first application didn't go so well. So I used the years after that, um, over two or three years, to kind of get some teaching experience and then kind of dive into more clinical research that was relevant to what I wanted to do. So I began studying adolescent depression um, as well as adult depression and kind of used my um, research experiences to develop 
skills in different methodologies, like using R and MATLAB, as well as doing clinical interviewing and that kind of thing. So um, kind of part of my strategy at that time was picking up skill sets that I thought would be applicable um, for a wide range of research. Um, and so then by the time I got around to applying, I, I knew that I really wanted to focus on adolescent depression um, and that I wanted to learn more about both the etiology as well as prevention efforts um, as they pertain to adolescent depression. So that kind of became the filter I used to look for professors to apply to. Um, I took a similar approach. I applied, I think, to like 15 or more because um, I knew it was just like, I, it's going to be pretty tough to get in anywhere. Um, and I think my timeline lined up very similarly to, uh, to Taylor's, um, where by this point I had, you know, identified people I had been emailing just to get a sense of who was looking for students and had everything pretty much ready to go aside from uh, recommendation letters. I love hearing like about, I, I don't love hearing that it took you guys multiple tries to get in because I'm also in the same boat. Um, I think, but I think it's important to acknowledge that particularly for clinical psych programs, it can be so hard to get in. And obviously there are some like things that people look for and there's some kind of like hard requirements for getting in but also like a bit of it, like a fair amount of it is like a crapshoot. Like it's who sees your application. Um, what like are the potential like weak spots of your application um, and how, how are people waiting it? And then what are they looking for in a graduate student in a particular year? And like with clinical in particular, you guys both ended up in clinical. Um, I, you know, the best thing that happened to me was not getting into a clinical program in the years before. Um, and then I got into one clinical program this year, but ended up deciding developmental. And I also think it just kind of gave me this like interesting um, perspective because the developmental programs, even though it was hard to get into, like they were more like welcoming you with open arms <laughs> in the application process, um, which felt like a warm hug after like lack of success in clinical programs. And also like, you know, like I just was so grateful to have Taylor during my application years as someone to, um, George, I didn't know you then. I'm sure you would have also been great. Uh, but since Taylor and I were an undergrad together and like struggled through application um, disappointments and then eventually successes together, um, I feel like knowing someone who I like respected so much and thought was so intelligent and capable and like ready to be an amazing grad student helped like me contextualize I was like well like Taylor's amazing and no one has like picked her yet so like maybe it's not a fair process um and that's probably not reassuring if you're applying to grad school um but I think you know the things that you can do to help you know like supplement is like having that like unfortunately and you know we've talked about this in the past because it's a very expensive process and hopefully that'll change but is applying to a lot of programs and um trying to you know form relationships with people in the area that you want to end up in yeah to your point kid i mean two things one is that yeah i love that you guys you know are so open about your experiences and encourage people to be open about it. Cause I think one of the hardest things when I had applied and Taylor, maybe this was true for you too, was just that like most of what I saw on like Facebook and stuff was people who had just graduated and were going off to PhD programs. I didn't really see who didn't make it through that process in a positive way. Um, so I think we always see the people who are succeeding and it's harder to 
get access to the perspectives from people who are trying multiple times. So I really like that you guys focus on that. I think I, um, I remember hearing someone, overhearing someone, and I was really curious, but I was still in the application process. And so I didn't like, I was too nervous to like approach them, but I was listening to some like um, grad students at uh, Society for Research and Psychopathology last year. And they were having breakfast at a table near me and they're like, yeah, I honestly think the norm is like, it takes two or three times now to get in. And I know that's not the case for everyone, but um, just hearing that and um, it just made me think like there must be like a quiet faction of people who it has taken them multiple tries, but it because there like is potential like not shame, well, like maybe shame um, or like embarrassment about not getting in the first time. Um, so that's why as much as I'd like to be like, yeah, it just took me once and it was easy. I like do not tell that story because it isn't a story that would be true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Dustin, you're the odd person out. Um, what were you doing in October seven years ago? Mid-October, what, seven years ago? While I applying remember... We six like years, no 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 but six years ago for graduate for applying to graduate oh, applying school. applying to graduate school I was yeah. running the lab that Kate abandoned just recently no oh. she didn't she didn't abandon it <laughs> um I was trying to figure out what I was doing I think I don't know I was like I didn't apply to as many schools as you guys did um just because I there weren't that many people that I could see myself working with, unfortunately, with like the type of work that I wanted to do. Um, or is it because you're difficult to work with? It's because I'm difficult to work with. That's exactly what it is. And that's what this podcast is set up to do is to show future employers that I am a garbage person. Um, yeah, I also think uh, something important before we kind of get into the technical, like more, not technical, but like the more advice-y proportion um, of this, I think it's as like a wider thing to kind of think about is, I know for a fact that George Taylor and I all applied to at least one of the same people. Um, and we have very different research interests but like have some of the people, I think we probably at least, I know George and I overlapped on like two or three people and Taylor and I overlapped on at least two. Um, but like we ended up in places that ended up being great fits for us. And I think we each got accepted at a program that somewhat one of the other people did not get accepted in. And so um, <laughs> we're all enemies. Um, no, but I think, um, at the end of it, like you end up at a place where you feel like it's a good fit for you. And, um, I think we're all happy with our collective decisions and, um, feel lucky to be where we are at. And so I think having the, um, there's this like really cheesy, uh, thing that someone gave me once that I actually think about a lot and unfortunately, and it's like, what's for you won't pass you. And, but I think that's like very true. Um, you're going to end up where you're supposed to. And I think, um, if you have faith that like the things that are going to like work out for you will in a longer, maybe a longer timeline than you have planned, um, then that can be kind of helpful dealing with like graduate school disappointments along the way, potentially the ones I'm anticipating. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so anything you'd want to, anyone, anyone wants to add on that note before we talk about interviewing? 
Sure, so I'll go. Um, I agree 100% with that. And I guess as a starting point, I know that even when you're applying and you reach out to faculty members and you don't get an email response, or it seems like maybe they're not as interested in your application, that the person who did not respond to my email accepted me. And <laughs> I don't think they ever even saw it. So I think that that's something to also not really fret on too much as long as you know they're accepting a student you, it's fair game at that point yeah they get a lot of emails I remember someone the person I eventually worked for who Dustin is is in his lab he didn't respond to one of my emails but he responded to your email Taylor and then I ended up working for him and I was like you never responded to my email <laughs> and he was like yeah I'm sure I did and I was like no no I was like he's pre-rejecting me <laughs> Um, but I like professors are busy. And so I think, um, it's hard to like the message of like, oh, it's not personal. Well, it is personal to you. And so like, I think that's a silly kind of message that I think some professors say. Um, but in saying that it's not a criticism of you, maybe that's a better way of, uh, putting it, or it's not like you've made an error. Yeah. I was going to say, I think my takeaway after all of that, and this applies to interviews as well, is that a lot of what you end up experiencing in your interactions with professors and students is really more about them than it is about you. So I think not viewing every interaction and the responses you get as a reflection on the strength of your application or the strength of you as an applicant uh, really is going to be beneficial mentally as you're going forward, because there's just a ton of things that feel bad or not ideal or like a poor reflection on you that's really just well that's that's how they handle the process and i think that kind of gets back to what we've all been saying which is that the process and the people you apply to are so different and in so many ways that you're not even aware of um, that you really can't figure out what that one thing you were supposed to do was or you know what the the key part of your application is like i still don't feel like i understand what it was that either got me interviews or got me into programs or not into programs i think it's just a lot of things that you know is under the surface a lot of the time unfortunately yeah and i think recognizing like the fact we usually view all these faculty members as um like having everything under control and like understanding all the pieces and aspects of it but in reality, like they are just as overworked and stressed as we are, and sometimes even more unorganized to a certain degree. So it's like if the emails get lost, if something falls through the cracks, like again, it is this this larger process that you want to think about and try to understand, and that it isn't necessarily a reflection on who you are as a as a person and as a strong applicant. And sometimes it's just, yeah, they server at the university bounced an email when it shouldn't have uh, or the faculty person doesn't organize their emails very well which is it, that's probably more the case for a lot of professors um, but I think one of the things like <clears throat> just in me thinking about my experience in applying it wasn't that long ago but I know that so much has changed and so much is different so a lot of my input or thoughts are going to be more on the other side of seeing the process on the back end. Uh, but like that, a lot of this is put together by the students and organized by the students. And then 
the faculty have like maybe a limited amount of time to look through applicants and some different universities have different processes on how applicants, how applications come in and then how they are then passed along to the advisor. And so there are lots of different steps that you don't know about uh, and like universities aren't going to be, hey, this is our process. Um, I don't know why not. Like it it's a flow of information. Why can't that be known? Um, but again, just like there are lots of places where things can break down, but then there are also other places that may be in your favor. Um, and it like that kind of coin flip feeling may be comforting to you. I think like what George was saying for your mental health, that can be beneficial during this highly stressful time. Um, and then after the fact, you can create a podcast like what Kate and I are doing and criticize the process. So I said this to someone who Taylor and I know once and she did not react well to it, but I'm going to keep saying it until someone gets excited about this as a comparison. I feel like applying to grad school is like dating. <laughs> Sometimes I see you laughing, Taylor. Um, obviously, because we all have our videos on. Anyway. Like sometimes you really like someone and you think it's a perfect match, but they're like, no. Um, and it's not because you did anything wrong. It's just because you're inherently unlovable. Um, no, it's just because like for whatever reason, it's just like not a match. And so um, I don't know why that metaphor helped me. Um, and maybe it'll help you or maybe you'll look at me like the person I told first told this to did and <laughs> with disdain. Um, but okay, so I want to kind of talk about when you first, maybe your first experience with like either a phone interview or a Zoom interview or Skype interview. Um, and what was that like for you um, going in? What did you expect it to be like? And how did it like either defy or like meet your expectations? Because I was expecting to be grilled. And I wasn't. And then sometimes there was one interview I did where I expected it to be smooth and I was grilled. <laughs> so, um, yeah, whoever wants to go first. So you're saying before, like, you even get a an offer of, hey, you're coming to the applicant weekend or something like that. This is just like a pre-check with the faculty person. Exactly. And I think um, maybe this is going to change from yours, Dustin. Like, I feel like this is increasingly common before. Like, I was surprised to even get one place where I had an interview without having a um, phone call beforehand. So if you're applying right now, that's something you should probably anticipate. Sure. So I can start talking with about the first one. The first one was, I think it was 2015. No, maybe. I don't know. Um, anywho, we... We had, I think we set up for like a 30 minute interview. And I know, Kate, you had the same interview with the same person, but um, my experience was pretty good. It seemed like it was pretty standard where she asked me questions about um, like my prior research interests, um, what I expected to do for um, research in grad school, some type of research skill questions about like tell me what your experience is with stats or tell me why you're interested in this program and so I don't think I really prepared for it um in feedback from her after this that I was not invited for an in-person interview um she emailed me like some really thoughtful response so I was just saying like 
I have a difficult time making decisions, kind of speaking to what you guys have been talking about re regarding how random the process is. And she was just saying, yeah, so maybe next time you should have like a first author publication or like something that like shows your research experience. Um, and so to correct what I had said earlier, I applied to 16 places last year. Um, I got six preliminary like phone interviews as well. The first one, like, so they varied between, some of them were like 20 minutes, some were half an hour. The first one I had was an hour though. Um, and it was this professor kind of grilling me on like what I would do for my dissertation study. Um, why, like, why am I interested in both depression and suicide? And if I had to choose between them, what I would pick, which I thought was like a not fair question, because I have both interests and I, I think that there's great overlap between them. Um, and so it was some, some discussion about what their program was like, what it's like to be in their lab. I spent a lot of time asking those types of questions. Um, but I feel like that one isn't representative of the other phone interviews I've had where they're shorter and you maybe ask like three or four questions and they ask you like three or four questions. Yeah, I also had kind of mixed experiences um, in this past year as far as what to expect. Um, and I don't think every place I interviewed at actually did one of these preliminary interviews. So that's something else to keep in mind too, is just like you may not hear back right away because they just don't either they have too many applicants so they can't do that you know there there are so many things that go into it so don't don't worry if you're not getting those preliminary interviews necessarily um but yeah i had a similar experience of having some that were like 20 minutes 15 minutes um because in some cases they're interviewing like 30 or 40 people often over like two days um and then others were a lot longer so I found that it got easier to have these calls and these conversations the more I did, which makes sense. Um, they have at least some elements that are the same. Um, but really, people are just like looking for very different things. I think a lot of it ends up being oriented towards the projects they have coming up. So their questions are going to vary depending on the qualifications they want their students to have for like a new study they're running, that kind of thing, to make sure that you'll be able to hit the ground running and not need too much handholding with that stuff. Um, anecdotally, I found that the conversations that went the longest were the most successful. Like there were some that were pretty short that I knew I was not going to interview in person for <laughs> just because the, the attitude was clearly just like, I have other people to talk to. So you kind of get a feel from those conversations, which ones are going well. In my case, I think I just like longer conversations. So I might've felt best about the longer ones. I'm not really sure. <laughs> what the causal part is there. Um, but yeah, I would expect kind of a wide range of conversation topics as well as lengths of time for these things. Yeah, as far as recommendations, I think I didn't expect that I would be asked to ask so many questions. Um, I feel like the smoothest ones I had turned into like a dialogue and like a exchanging ideas and like they want to, I think at the heart of it, um, everyone kind of wants to see how you think like a scientist. And so some people will do that in a more gentler way. Um, some people will be a little more aggressive. Um, I, as far as my own experience, yeah, I had the person who, um, that my worst experience was probably with someone who, uh, the same person you Taylor interviewed with and I did not enjoy it. She gave us like 24 hours to respond or well, like 12 hours to respond to schedule an interview for the next day. 
And so I had to like figure out how to take time. Like I need to take off like time from work really quickly. And they were very cool and very flexible with that, which was really nice. Um, but it felt like I didn't feel prepared and it felt really bad. And that was the time that was like the cycle I didn't get in anywhere. And so, um, that was obviously like disappointing. And I think, you know, we've talked about this too on previous episodes that it's a really aggressive, um, requirement to have people have a first authored paper. So that's like a personal disagreement I have as far as that feedback, but, um, it, it is hard to compete with people who have that on their CV because it does, it also does give you pretty unique experience and, um, the ability to talk about your research or how you think like, a, gives you an active example of you thinking like a scientist from beginning to end. Um, the questions I usually got, um, and George, Justin Taylor, if you guys want to like add like other questions you got, like if I had to like compile them would be like, why are you interested in what you're interested in? Tell me about your experience at, at X or Y place that you worked. Um, if you have any publications that you're an author on, like, what did you do for this publication? Like, um, this was like a, more um scary interview I guess I'd say it was like what did you do on this paper um and what are your plans for uh like graduate school or like what do you want to do after and then I asked a lot of questions about what projects people like so obviously look at their website first so like you're you don't sound like you're asking them something that they're like that's already like readily available but um, if you have a question about a particular project of theirs, that's a good place to go, um, especially if it's something you see like yourself having a niche in. Um, the other thing I think I didn't understand in my first round of applications was they didn't want like a mini clone of you or someone who's just interested in one thing. I think I did a pretty bad job being like, I want to do this. I want to do co-rumination for the rest of my life. Um, and I didn't have like a broader kind of view of that. And so I think I sounded pretty young and um, pretty inexperienced. And like, even though it was an interest of mine, it was like telling them what they wanted to hear. So it's like, how would you be a compliment or an asset to their lab rather than like a mini future clone of them? I think with just like that mini clone piece that it, it most advisors, I don't think most advisors, I think don't want that many clones. But then there are some who are like, I want you to do what I do and be my legacy, basically. Um, and it's tricky to to kind of see what that is. You can, I think, get a good sense of that from websites. Um, I would say, I don't know what kind of data is out there, if any, but usually people who have more up-to-date websites are more invested in their work and more invested in their students. Um, so I would say if their website looks good, that they want you to be like a scientist on your own. I don't know. Do you, what do you guys think of that, that claim that I just figured out right now? That's a bold claim, but I, I don't know. I think probably with my experience I feel like also like that's a measure of like older scientists don't update their websites so maybe grain of salt I don't know yeah I, I feel like overall I agree I think definitely the the attention that um, if there is a website the attention that it pays to its students 
uh, is definitely indicative of like what kind of relationship they probably have with students or what they're going to be focused on. Um, a few other things based on what you were uh, saying, Kate, um, one thing that I think professors tend to appreciate a lot is when you like make sure you're respecting their time and like, because you want to like both show that you're independent, but also interested, which is always a, a horribly hard line to walk. Um, so like I would usually preface all of the questions I had with, uh, how are we doing on time? Do you need to go soon? Something like that, just to make sure that they know that I'm like, I understand that they have a lot of other commitments and that I'm not the only one, but still that I'm very interested in their work, that kind of thing. Um, and then one thing I did that I, I at least felt was effective. I would always like try to find at least one paper where I had what seemed like a really interesting question. Um, or just something that I was curious about, like genuinely curious about, and that I felt was not just easily answerable or obvious in some way. Um, because I think that really gives them the impression that you've invested time in understanding what they do, have genuine interest, and then also kind of demonstrates a skill set of asking relevant or interesting questions about the literature. Um, so it kind of works on multiple axes of both like being personable in your relationship, but also having. Uh, you know, a generalizable skill set that would be applicable during grad school. So I agree with that. And another thing to add is um, when I don't really think it's possible to be 100% prepared for these interviews, you're always going to get asked a question and maybe try not to rehearse your answers as well to standard questions. I mean, you should know what your research interests are, but you don't have to sound like a robot delivering it. Um, and I guess a couple of like oddball questions I was asked was like, tell me about a thing that you learned recently. And I was just like, oh, like one second, please. While I'm thinking of like some impressive enough thing to say to her that was just like, oh, she's cool, but also like learning things on the side. Um, and then I think another question I got was like, um, was it describe your favorite theory in psychology? And it was just like, I've, I mean, I had given that thought because it's like related to my interest, but I was just like, well, here you go. But I don't know if everyone else would be able to like come up with one like right on the spot. There are reactions being had. I remember the moment I got that question and it was just like, oh my gosh. It was just like, can I have a minute, please? And then I literally sat for like a minute thinking because uh, that was like the one thing I hadn't or one of many but like one of the main things I just did not expect I was like I know about your work uh, and your thoughts on research but I did not do my like psych 101 prep I think a lot of faculty members don't understand the amount of time and energy it takes to apply to and it's like when you get asked those questions you're like I've been apply I've been doing this stuff to get ready for this for like months and it it I, that was all i was gonna say it <laughs> there's like not a whole no. lot so of i like consideration yeah i asked the interviewer who interviewed you both and asked that question because taylor and i had talked about it i was like why would you do that um and you know this is n equals one but he said he was like you know a big thing with that was you know, I know it's a hard question. I want them to like think through it. And I know it's like a difficult question to answer, 
but um, I want to see their like thinking processes. And I, I did sit, so as someone I worked with in an interview with them, um, but I thought about that question for like weeks afterwards. <laughs> I was like, who would I pick? And I'm just like so certain I don't like being able to like just like the other day, someone asked me out of the blue, like, oh, like who's your one of your favorite like psychologists? And I was like, I can no longer think of names of psychologists, don't know one. And so it's just the kind of question that like throws you off. And and then like later, like I was like, oh, like I can think of like a million people who like I respect and whose work has been really important to me. But there's something like that. The hardest question I was asked or the hardest question I had to answer was someone who asked about my low stats grade that I had had my freshman year of college and so I was not prepared to because I had been afraid of someone asking that for so long and then it hadn't happened and so I just kept thinking it wouldn't happen and I also began to believe that my freshman year statistics grade was irrelevant um and so what she was like I you know this is something that kind of worries me like I saw this and I was like what it worries you like and so um I like it ended up leading to this very genuine answer where I explained like, you know, used to be this area of weakness for me. Like I then took another stats class, even though it didn't count towards graduation because I knew it was important. And then I did well in that class. I went on to tutor instead, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I had to be really honest about why I thought I did poorly in that class. And um, I ended up getting an interview there, which was shocking to me. Um, I was like, well, I know where I'm getting my first rejection. Also, why did you interview me? <laughs> um, but this is someone who just like, it seems like they were genuinely curious. And, um, you know, it's important. I guess it would, you know, it is an important thing to check. Um, and if it's something, something that you're worried about. And so I guess in the end, even though it was like very alarming to me in the moment and afterwards I was like, wow, that was terrible. Um, that and also in that interview, um, this person, like I said something about uh, hormone levels and I know my area is like reproductive hormones and like I'm interested in that. And so I said something about how like it, it but it wasn't clear that I was saying it was sensitivity to hormones. It's a really small point, but I'll get to it. And she was like, actually, it's this. And I was like, oh no, she just told me I was wrong in the interview. And I, I wanted to like correct her and be like, I know that. But then I ran into this problem in the middle of the interview. Like sometimes you have to make these conversational choices between like, I didn't, you don't want to be like a know-it-all who's like, I know that. <laughs> but you also like, you want to be, you want to demonstrate that you're smart, but also like someone that they would want to work with. And I think sometimes um, I was so worried about sounding smart that I didn't like focus or it took me a second to focus on like, oh, you're just having a conversation with another person to figure out if you could work together and if they should invest a large sum of money in your education. <laughs> and just like a tiny uh, addendum to that, because I totally agree that stuff is really important to think about. And then I think one thing that helped me as far as mindset, both with these initial interviews and also with in-person interviews was I tried to like tone down the like level of like the immensity of what was happening. Cause obviously, especially when you've already applied once, it's like, this is do or die to make this work. You know, you're, you're so committed to the outcome 
And so what really helped me in part was just thinking about it as like, all right, I've gotten to this stage of a process and it's earned me 20 minutes to talk with this person who's really interesting. Um, so I tried to focus on like, how do I maximize that experience um, rather than thinking about like, how do I get into grad school? Cause I really don't know. And I don't know <laughs> what those key factors are going to be. So I just tried to enjoy the conversations as much as I could and just, you know, take something valuable from it. Um, so I really found that kind of shift in perspective uh, really helpful, both for my sanity. And also, I think it also helped me because I was more relaxed and just kind of ready to have fun discourse. Um, so, yeah. I agree with that too. And my last point on the pre-interviews is that um, you should probably also make sure to ask questions for your own knowledge about the program because this is your first exposure to this person. I know that um, this past application period, which maybe will be the same or not as the same, but five of the places I applied to were in the same day. And I just know sometimes you do have to like pick and choose and also start thinking about where you'd be happiest at even if, and so I think it's important to ask like consistent questions between programs too in that beginning interview. How did you feel about uh, reaching out to graduate students in the lab? Was that something that you asked about or that they offered? I did not. Or neither? Um, I, I know that was an expectation for one lab, um, but I, like one lab that I didn't apply to or I, it's a long story um but uh I was applying to so many places and no one really said like you should talk to my graduate students or made any sort of um effort about connecting but I also my understanding is if that happens in an email the expectation is you do reach out to the graduate students as like a hidden expectation so that's kind of another thing because like on the one hand, I'm going to be honest, like, I don't, I want to talk to the graduate students at the in-person interview to get a sense. But before then, it's just kind of adding another stressful, like, I'm being judged for another conversation. You know, that's not exactly how it goes. And that's not their perspective, necessarily. But yeah, that was my experience. Um, George, did you talk to anyone? I don't think I did. No. I didn't either. Um, but in the past, Dustin, as a graduate student, you've been asked to talk to applicants. Is that right? Sometimes before, sometimes usually, I mean, definitely during the weekend, but, and then making <laughs> ourselves available thereafter. Uh, no, I would just invite <laughs> applicants into my office and we would just sit there and stare at each other. Um, yeah, no, it, it, sometimes, like, I think it depends on the advisor too, like, there might be expectations that you do this. And like, again, thinking about grad student schedule and they're even more busy than faculty members, but there are different expectations from the graduate student too. And like, they may have to ask certain questions or like, really, they just want to give you information. At least that's been my perspective in you're making a big decision and how can I be helpful with that? Um, but I think there's going to be so much variability that it's hard to prepare a hundred percent for it. I think that's a good point. Um, and I guess, you know, this kind of leads into the, like, so we can talk, you know, less, uh, extensively about this, but maybe just talk about like, if you were to have an in-person interview, like what was in-person interviewing like, 
um, for me, the structure was roughly the first day you were there, you went to a really awkward potluck with faculty, grad students and applicants. And then the second day you went to a morning meeting where they may or may not have food and you tried to drink enough coffee before your day, interviewed with a bunch, bunch, bunch of people. Um, somewhere in there you met with the PI who you're hoping to work with. Very stressful. And then in that mix, like talk to grad students and then some kind of other dinner um, or something like that. Um, so anything... George and Taylor, you want to talk about in terms of like, what was the actual in-person interviewing experience like for you? So like for me, this is very, um, this was like the basis of how I made my decision. I think I had a rough idea of my ranking of programs. Um, but when I finally got my acceptances, it was like basically the in-person interviewing that helped me decide. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely found the in-person interviews really fun, honestly, like Aside from the the nail biting interview with the PI and whatnot, um, overall they were just like again. I tried to embrace that mindset of just you know I've earned this opportunity to learn from these people for a day and to you know learn from the grad students, learn from the professors. So with that in mind, it ended up really being an enjoyable experience overall. Um, so for me, I ended up focusing mostly on. Um, kind of evaluating like what was the structure of the day like because Kate you laid it out really well that was my experience too and I found that the the kind of little details of how the day's structure was organized ended up being a lot of what told me about kind of what the program cared about for example um, for that introductory like potluck is it the students you know just on their own is it the students and the professors is it at someone's home is it in a public location, what are the, so just like, what are those social opportunities? What do they look like? Um, also just like, how do the students sound? Uh, do they seem happy? Do they seem exhausted? Well, everyone's going to be exhausted, but uh, do they seem like they're doing okay overall? So um, I think at that point I was, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, evaluating what the program was like and getting a sense of those things. Um, I tend to really care about the, the kind of person centric, focus of a program in an institution. So like that was something I was really focused on, um, which may be different for everybody. So that's just what I attended to. But um, yeah, I would say the structure is exactly the way you described it. Um, don't worry too much about the last minute prepping. I think the uh, at that point, at least in my experience, most of the programs kind of treated you as like, okay, we know that you can do this work. Now we just want to get to know you better. Um, so I think in general, you won't expect those kind of hard-hitting questions in the same way, or at least there's kind of some good faith from all of the people you'll speak to because they know how competent you are. You've made it through like the hardest part as far as qualifications. Um, so I would think more, especially at this point, about like, what are the things you want to know? Um, like, what do you want to know about your professors? What do you want to know about the program? Uh, that kind of thing. So to go against the grain a little bit, um, I didn't have the most enjoyable interview experience. Um, I think it. I think I had a mix of like in-person interviews that were either like one day, um, but this came like a week after the preliminary phone interview, and so it just got to the point where there were like too many happening, and um, I had a couple that were virtual. The 
program that I'm at now, they only do phone inter like they do what is it? They do a 30 minute or an hour long meeting with the PI and one other faculty member, and then they make their decisions. Um, so that was like intimidating to me too, because that happened like it was maybe like close to March, and I was just like, oh, people are still doing interviews. Um yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's really important, again, to have like that list of questions that you're asking for consistency's sake. Um, it's also important to start thinking more about your research interests at that point, because you are going to get a lot of questions. Well, I got a lot of questions about, so now that you're here, what do you think you'd like to work on for like a first year project or something like that? And well, I was just like, I don't know yet. Um, in the beginning, it is something that came up pretty consistently afterward. Um, and then some other things are that I agree with what you were saying, George, about how the structure of it depends on like the things they care about. Um, I had an interview where we toured like nearby campuses that were connected to that university because they each offered a different thing. And it was just really interesting to learn about the clinical work, the teaching, and like the research. Um, and yeah, I think also, for some of the conversations that had already started with pre-interviews, sometimes there was no like interview after that. I had um, one person who said, so to pick up a, on our conversation we had the last time, like, what are your thoughts now? And I was just like, I was expecting to be interviewed. <laughs> but um, so you never know what to expect, but I'm, I'm imagining that it, it will be most likely like continuing to ask questions or should be. Uh, I definitely want to mirror that. <laughs> Sorry, that that just brought up so many memories too of like you've had these initial pre-interviews, um, and you've hopefully, presumably, if you're getting an interview, you said something that they liked, and then you're like, oh my god, why did I only write down what they said <laughs> during that pre-interview? Because now it's like, what did I say that was so good? Um, so I totally empathize with that. I also like it's good hearing kind of your experience Taylor with just like the challenges of the interview process. Cause like, I don't mean to put like a shiny gloss on it or anything. Um, because I think the fact that I tried to engage with this perspective or this mindset was because it was intimidating and frightening and like, you know, it's not, it's not like a fun process per se, but I, yeah. Um, but I do think finding ways to make it not necessarily gamify it, but, um, whatever you need to do to kind of put yourself at ease um, so that you can kind of perform as well as you need to is really helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's tough. I think that's a good point. I, I found it both very stressful and very um, like fun in a very interesting way. Cause like, it's this thing where like, Oh, it's kind of fun to get to travel. It is like very expensive. Um, and so I found it like this mixed experience where I was like, oh, this is costing a lot of money. Um, but also like, oh, it's like, it's really interesting to see how different people are doing things like insights into different program strengths and weaknesses and like meeting people along the way. Um, there is like opportunities to socialize, but also something else that um, I noticed in one of my first interviews, Taylor uh, and I, we were talking with another applicant who was like weirdly defensive and like wouldn't tell us anything about himself. Um, and so like your other applicants are, I think it's very unhealthy and it's counter to like enjoying your interviews if you view them as your competition. Um, 
I like really enjoyed and now like in follow mutual follows on Twitter with people who I met on interviews and they were super great. And like, that was one of the highlights. And so they're not like, no one's trying to get you and no one's going to undermine you unless they're like a psychopath. Um, but like, it's okay to tell people who you're applying to. I also, I got bad advice and this is, I think for, um, applying to, you know, like grad for applies to like graduation, uh, grad school interviews both in person and by phone which is sometimes they're going to ask you who else you applied to who else you're interviewing with on one hand this can kind of feel like they're putting you in a tricky position but on the other hand what I've heard and how I understand it is that um it like they want to know you have a consistent research interest that you're not just they know you're applying to other people like they know how the system works and so you're not going to be penalized for applying to a bunch of people um in the same area but um from my previous like mentor what i heard is he like asked that question because he just wants to know that like your interests have a common thread to them and that you're not studying like nssi as well as something totally unrelated um can't think of one right now but yeah um so I think that was like the fun portion um it's also like it's just such a good opportunity to talk to grads uh, like other grad students not other grad students but the graduate students um and get an unfiltered perspective um I felt like I got a very good idea of who liked who they who liked like the professors they were working with I thought there might be some maybe like not deception involved but smoothing things over but I do think I got a pretty clear picture um and from the grad student perspective like I think Justin I'd like to hear like what's your kind of view on talking to students and like what would you like applicants to know when you're interviewing them I usually try and George you could say how our interview went um but my approach to to interviews is more like I want to give you as much information as you want. Uh, I am very understanding that this is a stressful time and I try to make it like a you can we can just like sit here and like talk about video games or like computers if you want. I want you to to get the information that you want, but I also understand like you are interviewing a bunch of other people who are going to say the same stuff that I'm going to say um for the most part but if you want my perspective on things i'd be happy to give it to you but i also don't want this to be a stressful like 15 20 minutes with me no but i think that was i just really enjoyed talking to you and like i think that's part of why we still talk now um and so i think it makes such a difference and again like um i was just thinking about this as we were continuing this conversation but in a year where applications are almost certainly going to be entirely done by Zoom. Um, I think all of these factors will probably be accentuated even more in a lot of cases of like, how does the program format your interviews um, is going to really be clear, like how comfortable do you feel? Um, so I think like I would be concerned about getting all of the factors you more easily get in person typically, but I think some of them are actually going to be even clearer just because the amount of thought that goes into how to conduct interviews by Zoom is going to be pretty readily apparent. Um, so as you're having these conversations, I think you'll get a 
you really want to get a sense of the grad students and how they feel about the process, as well as, again, just the structural layout. Um, I don't know, Taylor, what do you think? Because I could also see it going the other way of like, by Zoom, it's just hard to pick up on all of these details from people. Yeah, so I had a mix of like this previous process of grad school interviews being like the formal ones being um, on Skype or Zoom. Um, so that was interesting to me. I don't really think they differed a ton um, in terms of like the con the questions I was asked and the things we discussed. Um, but I would recommend like making sure to kind of utilize those grad um, student interviews to ask questions about the things that you really want to know about grad school because that's probably the only opportunity you'll have before it is that you're making decisions. Um, I think some of the grad students I spoke to didn't want to talk about the salary or the stipend. And that was odd to me because I couldn't find it online. And they're just like, oh, it's like livable. But I'm just like, but you're in New York City. So like, how livable could it be? Um, but I think every everyone else was like pretty open. Um, some of them actually like interviewed me. But in person wise, there was one grad student who I'd been talking to this is probably because I had spent like 12 hours the previous day with them. They like set me on the couch and they're like, you can lay here and like just relax and like ask me questions or we can talk about like what the diversity is like in the department. And so that's what we did for like half an hour. So it really varies, but like try to use that flexibility to your advantage. Yeah, I definitely had that experience of like, sorry, one, one quick thing, uh, but with Dustin, like we actually had a conversation and it wasn't you interviewing me, which felt way better compared to other places where it was more just like interview after interview after interview, even with grad students. So I think you really get a sense of like what they care about by seeing how they talk to you. I also think there's some coded language that um, grads, even grad students are prone to, um, which I was something like maybe we can talk about now too. Um, just a quick one other thing is the thing I learned the most about like interviewing was to take a bunch of breaks and to drink a lot of water and to make sure you had a snack in your purse or if you are not a purse user, uh, jacket, uh, briefcase, fanny pack. fanny pack. Oh yeah. Like if you're going to use a fanny pack, make sure it's not, you know, make sure it's like fine leather or something like that. Um, well, you have to coordinate your outfit with it. So usually like a blue suit, a nice brown leather fanny pack. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, um, I think like that's what Dustin did and he got into his programs. Um, so, but to the point of like coded language, um, the livable stipend sets me off because everywhere I interviewed seemed to have a livable stipend. And yet some students were taking out loans to help feed themselves. And I, you know, like everyone has different um, expectations for their quality of living and like what they want for grad school that is complicated by a lot of factors. But um, when I tried to get hard numbers from everyone about what the stipend looked like, and um, I think there are little subtle hints you'll get, which will give you an idea whether the person can, you know, like reasonably save a little bit of money or whether it's going to be a stretch for the, your entire grad school. And I think other advice that I was given that I learned to kind of take in with a grain of salt was a lot of professors who I talked to who are further on in their careers, none that I like was close with like primary mentors. So not to, I had great primary mentors, 
Um, but their advice was stipend shouldn't be that important to you because like you'll make money later. And I think that's a little bit uh, misguided and it's a little like, it's a little unfair um, because I think for me, understanding the amount of stress that I would have to go to to supplement my income or worry about paying off future loans was a consideration in how productive I could be as a scholar. And so that was very, it was important to me. And I'd be lying if I say, like said, one program that I was interested in became less interesting to me because I thought it would be a very stressful living situation. So um, thoughts on this, Taylor, George, Dustin? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Because um, I think grad school is hard enough as it is. And I've seen grad students who have, you know, really been in a tough spot. And like, you really want to be in optimal conditions in grad school. Um, so that was a huge factor for me, too, of just like, what is life going to look like? Is this enough money to live, you know, at least... I wanted to make sure I wouldn't have to think about money all of the time, um, you know, because it really does make a difference. Um, one other thing that this brought up for me, too, was just when you're talking like the kind of euphemistic language around these things. Um, but knowing like what kind of career paths the institution, as well as your mentor specifically, uh, kind of envisions for you can be really helpful. Um because I know some are, like we talked about earlier, some are looking for kind of a mini version of themselves, which can be more restrictive than someone who's really looking to, you know, nurture you. And, and if you end up going in a certain direction, they're going to help you. And even if you go in another direction. Um, so I think that's another thing that you kind of get a sense from from students, um, but isn't always explicitly said. Yeah, um, I think that was something that I found pretty frustrating. Um, and also, like to add, I think, you know, questions around stipend, um, also like cost of living, like what's reasonable to balance that out. Um, and obviously they're like online calculators, but just like there's how much would it cost to live here? And like, how do you have to live with other people? Are you gonna have to drive or like take the bus? Like how important is your commute to you? And like how flexible your advisor is and like helping you make things work. And also not every place I went to had paid for your, um, health insurance, or not every place I looked at looked, paid for health insurance. And so like, that was, um, there was one place where you had to give up a significant portion of your stipend, your student stipend um, for health insurance. And I was like, well, that's not your stipend then, because like, health insurance is essential. <laughs> and so um, also checking out whether people had graduate student unions was something I did. So I don't know. Um, that was important to me personally. I think it can be a tricky thing to balance too, because you are on one hand, like trying to find, you want to get in. This is your end goal is, is being in graduate school. And it can be like it, it, at times it may feel like you don't have any power or any say in the next steps. It's like, you're going to do everything that you can do and you'll do it very well. But at times it can feel like, well, I don't want to, if they give me an offer, I'll probably go. But I think keeping in mind that this isn't always the only avenue to go to reach the career goals that you want. And having that can be helpful too when you're thinking about these things about your stipend or about how you're just going to live for the next five to six years uh, or longer if you're me or somebody else, maybe. I don't know. Um, but that like, 
that you don't have to, this isn't your only option going to graduate school, or it is the case that you take another year and that you get more experiences so that then you can uh, look at other areas that are a better fit for you. Again, like this is your training. This is you as a student and you growing and you want to make sure that you're doing what's best for you and your family or your situation. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wanting to like throw it back to all of you guys. And is there any other like things in particular that you uh, looked for or like things that were important to you that um, was like a make it or a break it for a program? Um, because I think, you know, something for me is um, having people who like kind of had the same views about science that I did. So people would be open to like open science is one thing. Also like one program just like really impressed me with how much like they put a premium on diversity. That wasn't the case with the majority of programs to be honest. Um, so that like kind of set it apart. Um, I mean, two programs were like that and in the end and um, were like top choices for me and like knowing that they like care about their students and they care about like these questions that our field needs to tackle and like do a better job with. So um, thoughts on that? Sure. Um, so when I was applying and interviewing, I had a spreadsheet that had a bunch of columns for things that I thought were important. Um, and I also like took like a sentence note of like how the interview went, if I like did a phone interview or an in-person one with them. But some of the categories that were important to me were diversity. Um, I didn't see that at a ton of programs. Sometimes I was like the only black person throughout all of the graduate students, the faculty and the applicants. And that felt like not a good fit for me. Um, some other things, I believe research fit should have already been like checked off when you applied. But I mean, sometimes you may like learn something new about where they're going with their research. And then that could feel like less of a good fit for you at the time. Um, I wanted to be in a lab that felt like collaborative and less competitive. I did have some interviews where it seemed like the grad students were having to compete for like funding opportunities or presenting and publication opportunities. And I wanted to be able to have everyone kind of be involved. And the biggest thing to me um, was the mentor. Um, well, yeah, it was the mentor where I wanted to make sure that I got an idea of whether they were hands on, hands off. Um, how involved are they with your projects? Are they the type to like make your project for you? Um, and so just getting like an idea of that, I think that throughout my interview process, um, like one faculty member got annoyed and they were just like, yeah, I keep getting asked that, but what are you looking for? And I was just like, oh, okay. But um, she she said it in a nice way, but I was just like, I guess they do get asked that question a lot. And maybe there are different ways to ask them. Like, what are your expectations of your graduate students in the lab? Or um, like, how involved are you with picking up this project? Or how do you like do, how do you like manuscripts to be proposed or that type of thing? Or like asking about lab meetings, all of those can get at like mentorship style too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think those are definitely like, I think I kind of had not necessarily tiers of things to think about, but those are all the things that like you want to be processing and make sure are 100%. And then I found kind of on top of that, um, kind of getting back to those factors like stipend, the sort of things that you're, I feel like you're told these aren't what are supposed to matter or something. Um, but for me, a really important thing was making sure that um, 
my girlfriend would be able to, you know, live there and feel comfortable and like all of these other factors involving her. So I think, you know, there are these considerations with like your family or a significant other, all of these things that kind of, I think, you know, people I'm sure would disagree with me, but they definitely play a role. And so evaluating those things as you go as well um, can be really important for, again, more that like, how are you going to feel and how does this fit into the rest of your life? And to just quickly cut in, I agree with that 100%. Um, one of the things I felt was shallow at the time, which isn't, is location. Some of the places I was applying to was just like, well, you're there. But then when it came time to like, you could be here for seven years, um, I got mixed advice of like, well, it is just seven years. But if you're honestly feeling like you might not be happy in the area, then that's worth considering too. Yeah, I always found that like, it's just seven years is like a little bit uh, dismissive because, you know, it's like, yes, like, for example, like I spent two years in central Illinois, and it wasn't my favorite place I've lived. And so like, you know, in some ways, I'm happy to be back in the Northeast. Um, and I know, like my limits. Um, and so it was like a small blip, as I was reminded earlier today, of like my time there, and it was very important to me. And I ended up with a great group of people from that. And so like, I really loved it in a specific way. It also would have been very hard for me to spend seven years in the Midwest um, because hiking is very important to me and good running is really important to me. And that's like a really key thing for my mental health and like well-being. And so seven years is a short time. It goes by quickly, but it feels long while you're in it, right? <laughs> and so like, I feel like I've been living in Ithaca forever um, and I've been here for four months. And so the winter is going to feel even longer. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's just an important thing. And, you know, we're going to talk on this about this on a future podcast about like partners and like families and like how that impacts your grad school things. But, um, you know, I was at an interesting point in my relationship where it wasn't um, factoring in my partner because we were like still sort of newly dating. and. But now, you know, like, I assume if we stay together or if we we break up and I end up with someone else who I'm serious with by the time I'm looking for postdoc, like, that's a very different decision. And it's going to depend on things like um, Dustin and I talk about, like, family things and what your values are and what your goals are outside of academia. And so I think my biggest criticism of the, like, application proce uh, process is sometimes it asks you to put your research yourself before your whole self and um they're both equally important and your research yourself can't thrive if your personal self isn't thriving and so i just think that's really important to think about i think that's what something that comes back in what we talk about too is like you know yourself the best and what is going to make you happy doing what you're doing and just make sure that you're advocating for that and if you're noticing that there are are certain places that you're needing to do that more then that might be a reflection on that it's not a good fit and that you are able to to go elsewhere if that's the case perfectly said um so i think you know if you guys have any final thoughts and then we'll go into our future direction section where we'll get your sweet recommendations for the next for everyone to follow your job as influencers begin. So any final thoughts on like the application process or, um, you know, Zoom interviewing if it ends up being that this year? I can go. Um, so I think that one of the things that 
I think maybe us being in the position we are have a difficult time conceptualizing for people who are like not is that there's going to be anxiety. It's going to feel stressful. And I, I'm not going to say that before you get through the process, you're going to be like, oh, well, that, this, that's what she was talking about. But it is something that once you're over it, you're, you're over it. And it doesn't last forever. The application period should be like a couple of months. And it's just really important to make sure that you're making the right decision for you and not your advisor or whoever else is pressuring you to go into a direction you don't feel comfortable going into. And it's also time for you to be selfish as well and just make sure that you're prioritizing yourself um, in your decisions. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and then kind of two similar and slightly different points. I guess one is, um, you know, especially from just having this conversation, like no two people are going to have the same application experience. Um, and it really is, you know, like most things in psychology and outcomes are multiply determined, right? So um, there are a lot of ways to get to a good outcome. And so that can be true, you know, within academia, going into a PhD program, that can also be true, you know, not going into a PhD program. And um, I definitely know people who are applying with me at the same time who ended up not getting into a program, but finding something else that was also really good. Because um, there are a lot of ways, especially now, um, to really pursue a career that's meaningful and, um, you know, can produce really valuable results for people and make people's lives better, which is why we're all doing this. Um, so I think, you know, I don't mean that in a pessimistic way or anything, but just, you know, there are a lot of ways to achieve the goals that you have, even if it doesn't necessarily feel that way at first. Um, so I would just encourage you to kind of, kind of as, as Taylor was saying, you know, think about what you need. And that may not always mean a PhD. Um, and if it does, that's great. Uh, and I hope that that process goes well for you. But, you know, really consider what you want. Even if you get into a program, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to go to that program just because it's a PhD. Man, I feel so like wholesome after listening to this advice. I feel like I would have been better prepared. Oh. <laughs> No, thank you both. Um, Justin, any final thoughts before we? Not not really. I'm the old man of the group who is like, my experience is so far away, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, thank you both for, for joining us. Where can people find you on the interwebs or do you want them to find you? I have no idea. Uh, I'm on Twitter. And my name is George Abitanti, but I don't know what you search to find me. Uh, so good luck. <laughs> Great. All right. Same. Um, I'm not on Twitter yet, but I may be shortly. Um, and maybe we could close out just by like stating our favorite psychological theory or something. I'm getting anxiety know. just thinking about it. That's so cruel. I got to go. Sorry. <laughs> That'll be for all future for all future guests. We'll ask them what their that'll be our one question we ask everybody. That's kind of fun, but I it's so funny. I still can't think of any uh, <laughs> sexual strategies theory. Don't know what it entails. Can't remember. Blocked it out. Um, okay, so future directions. If you have something to recommend, um, a podcast, a book, uh, an activity, etc. Well, so first, Dustin and I were talking before this, so I'll give my like 
nerdy, super nerdy one, and then slightly less, less nerdy one. But Patrick Curran, Curran is just the best. Uh, he's involved in the Quantitude podcast, which I love. Uh, and he does a lot. I know on stats online. So like anything, I also think his voice is just so calming, uh, much like Dustin and Kate's. Um, so if you just need something to listen to, to relax, I think it's also great. Um, and then if, if you're not feeling supremely nerdy, I guess, uh, you could also listen to, uh, binge mode. I love binge mode. They do like in-depth, uh, podcasts on things like Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, like they're just so great and they care so much about the content and just like, they're great. So highly recommend binge mode. I double endorse binge mode. I love it. Um, I even, I don't, I haven't seen any of the Star Wars movies since I was like 10. And I still listen to all of the binge mode episodes on Star Wars, just because like, it's fun to listen to people like nerd out on something. Um, So that was really fun. Taylor, how about you? Other than your calm podcasting voice? Sure. So I, let me think. I read the book recently. Well, I bought a lot of books recently and I haven't read any of them other than one. Um, so I can give a recommendation on the one. It's called Dark Matter and it's kind of like about time travel and like physics and kind of nerdy things like that. Um, and then some books that I have yet to read, but my advisor this morning told me they were good books. I'm in Punishment, which I may read at some point and this book called Between the World and Me, which is about being Black in America. I don't know. Maybe they're great books. Crime and Punishment? No. Uh, <laughs> I heard, is that the Tennessee? I always get to say his name wrong. Um, Coates uh, book? Okay. Yeah, I should, I should read that. That's been on, uh, that's actually been on my list for a while. Um, oh, Lastly, the entitled book by K-Man. Taylor and I have been talking a lot about the entitled book. Taylor also recommendation for boyfriends or partners is to read entitled as well, if I'm correct. You are boyfriends and partners, so I guess that's you, <laughs> Dustin and George. Yeah, no, it's I have requested it from the library. I'm waiting for it. And I'm about to. <laughs> Um, so I'll go with my recommendation, which I just forgot, uh, is, uh, taking a rest day. So, um, as some of you may know, if you're a regular podcast listener, <laughs> if we have any of those, um, I've been running for every single day of September, um, which has been exhausting and I'm so excited. I am, I ran today this morning. And so I am one day away from having completed this and I'm never doing it again. I'm exhausted. I had to like, at the end of like a hard day of like classwork, it was like 8 PM and I was like, I've got to run at least two miles to make it count. And so I'd like step out my door and slog through it. It was awful. Um, so taking a rest day, I'm ready to be done with that. And then they can't kill us until they kill us is a book by Hannah. Uh, I'm Durakib and he it's very 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 good I like it a lot and he's also a great Twitter follow so I'm really enjoying that any updates on we write max 
Oh, uh, uh, so Taylor, uh, George, if you didn't know this, um, I've been trolling my friend Max by creating an account called We Rate Max and rating all of his tweets. Um, he doesn't know it's me and he thinks it's a student of his. So I actually got locked out of the account, so I have to figure out how to recover that. I've been kind of busy, so I've been a little lazy. Um, so he hasn't gotten rated recently, so I'm going to figure it out today probably and then do like a mass tweet uh, rating fest. So uh, we were at we were at Max One. Uh, check it out. Every time he tweets, I now look to see if any of his tweets have been quoted. And, and I've been really disappointing the fans recently. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah no, me. Don't, don't share it with my friend Max. You guys both don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's exciting. And Max, if you're listening to this, you are. But I don't know. Whatever. Uh, my recommendation this week is going to be the Great British Bake Off just started releasing new episodes. So there's a new season and do that. It is enjoyable. It is wonderful. Um, it's a nice little break from everything. All right. Well, this is you can grad school. Thanks for joining us. And uh, wait, what's our closing? Is it? I don't have it in front of me. Uh I'm Kate. And I'm Dustin. And we don't think we don't think you could grad school. We know you can. You it can was better school. last week. I think the longer the pause is after we don't think you can grad school, the better it gets. Ho 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 the you can grad school is on a vacation. <laughs>